described, amongst other things, as the missing piece in the renewables puzzle, hydrogen is generating much media and political interest across Europe. It has huge potential across transport, heating and industrial processes, and storage. Hydrogen also has significant potential to help reduce energy dependencies and increase energy security, a topic of course now in laser sharp focus given the war in Ukraine. Indeed, hydrogen is a key pillar of the Repower EU plan, the European Commission's proposal to end reliance on Russian fossil fuels before 2030. However, as we stand, hydrogen currently represents only 2% of the EU's energy mix, and nearly all hydrogen, around 95%, is produced by fossil fuels, so-called grey hydrogen. In fulfilling its potential and helping to play a pivotal role in the energy transition, hydrogen produced from renewable energy must be the way forward, so-called green hydrogen. How do we scale up green hydrogen, and how do we do this at the speed needed? Amongst all the talk, what tangible examples of real projects are out there, and do they show the way forward to a hydrogen-powered future? Joining me to discuss this are Julius Baghdadi, CCO and co-founder of Octopus Hydrogen, Manfred Grohl, head of hydrogen at Bivar RE, and Stefan Tate, head of energy storage and hydrogen at Bivar RE in the UK. I hope you enjoy this podcast and please check out other podcasts and content at rethink-energy.com. Welcome everyone. Hello. Hi Mark. Hello. Good to be here. So a lot of ground to cover on a very topical subject. Um, yeah, we dive straight in. As we've heard in the intro, hydrogen is a hot topic across Europe and has this huge potential. But as we've also heard, this potential is far from being realized and hydrogen currently represents just two percent of the eu's energy mix and is nearly all coming from fossil fuels can you give us an overview of where the industry is at, at the moment um, where we're seeing some of those applications and, you know, and how do we begin to unlock that potential manfred would you like to come in on that and open first yes glad to do so thanks yeah i mean where the industry stands it's um i mean Many people don't know, maybe, but there's a lot of hydrogen demand already, a lot of hydrogen used already in industry. It's allowed about 9 million tons of hydrogen used uh, per year in, in, in Europe. That comes with substantial CO2 emissions, and all this hydrogen is used as chemical feedstock in the, in the chemical industry, producing fertilizer used in refineries and so on. But if we want to take climate prediction serious, there will be much more use cases for hydrogen in the future. This could be heating processes in industry for a high temperature heat process. There will be additional uh, processes in the, in the industry like the steel sector. There will be a lot of hydrogen demand in the mobility sector, in the energy storage sector, and so on. So there will be a lot of more hydrogen that will be used in future. About unlocking, I mean, that's that's the main thing, right? I mean, hydrogen, renewable hydrogen was there almost 100 years ago. There were large uh, electrolyzer plants running for centuries in Norway, but the uh, production of gray hydrogen is simply cheaper or was simply cheaper as producing green hydrogen for centuries because uh, and natural gas was damn cheap and nobody took care about the CO2 emissions. So there are several things we could do, we should do to unlock this potential if we want to take climate prediction serious. 
And Julius, um, Octopus based in the UK, and we're collaborating with you on a number of different projects. I mean, how are you seeing that from from your perspective and this, yeah, this, this huge potential, but at the moment's just not being realised? Yeah, I think uh, to Manfred's point, there is already a lot of hydrogen demand in the UK. And it's, it, it's really about identifying those use cases, the current existing for hydrogen demand in the UK, and then the potential new ones, uh, such as transport, which is definitely a futuristic uh, side of it and requires the, the growth of the hydrogen transport sector significantly. So I think when it comes to green hydrogen, certainly within the UK, there are very few and very, well, there are almost no live large projects greater than one megawatt within the UK and there are plans ourselves and and others um, with published ambitions to grow the UK green hydrogen market and that is a sort of Manfred alluded to to displace some of the grey hydrogen that already exists and green was nowhere near as competitive on price compared to grey until recent times and that that is changing slightly because of the the landscape and the energy crisis that we're now in so there's a an opportunity there for green i would say now that there wasn't before and really i suppose yeah it's but on the transport side it's about the development of the green hydrogen supply itself but fundamentally the cost and the ability to get transport up and running on UK roads for heavy goods vehicles and and, and other applications. So, but quite a way to go, I would say. And Stefan, your thoughts there? I can just stress what Manfred and uh, Julius have have already mentioned. Um, I think maybe it's uh, it's it's fair to to say that uh, there's uh, more applications where hydrogen uh, can help reducing the carbon footprint of industrial processes of uh, transportation and especially there where yeah it's it's hard to electrify right maybe that's that's a topic we dig uh, deeper a little bit into then uh, later in this conversation but it's clear i guess and that's like this dominant question like everywhere when you discuss about hydrogen yeah but at the end of the day electrification is much more efficient and yes it is but there are still like so um, many applications where it's simply hard to electrify, as Manfred mentioned, like high temperature industrial processes in like long range um, transportation being mentioned as like two examples where I um, think, yeah, that the, the hydrogen demand will be huge as as also many market uh, intelligence services are are estimating. So it will be really, really a massive and and far higher than those uh, yeah two percent you have mentioned in the beginning now we will dive a bit deeper into the current energy crisis and hydrogen projects that are live at the moment challenges and opportunities but before we do we've already mentioned gray hydrogen uh, we talked about green hydrogen and i know there's a multitude of other colors of hydrogen out there so before we go any further manfred could you just kind of talk us through these different colors of hydrogen and exactly what they mean Sure, but that's not too easy because it's not absolutely strictly about the colors. There's uh, some colors that are used for different types of hydrogen, but the most the most common ones are the, is, is the gray that you already introduced. This is gray hydrogen is produced from from methane from natural gas. This is cracked uh, with steam steam methane reforming into hydrogen and a lot of CO two that is usually released to the atmosphere, and that's gray hydrogen. This is really a substantial amount of CO2 emissions that we have from this gray hydrogen production in Europe at the moment. 
then the basic idea is uh, to catch this CO2 emissions of the steam methane reforming, capture it and store it uh, somewhere underground, which is then the, the CCS process, carbon capture storage or carbon capture and sequestration. And then you will end up with so-called blue hydrogen, which is still has some impact on the climate. This is often forgotten because it's not 100% the capture rate of, of CO2. So we have less, much less CO2 emissions, but still there are CO2 emissions. And what is often forgotten, you always have to take into account the greenhouse gas emissions, the upfront process of extracting and transporting the methane. Methane is a very, very strong greenhouse gas on a short time scale, at least it's almost 100 times as strong as CO2, at least on a time scale of 20 years. So blue hydrogen would make the world a little bit better, but it's still not completely uh, greenhouse gas free. So there is another idea to treat the methane, the natural gas, to extract hydrogen. This is by splitting this methane into hydrogen and the type of solid carbon pyrolysis. Um, and this will be turquoise hydrogen, because that means you don't have CO2, but, but carbon at the end. You can just dump it somewhere and leave it there, which would be good. But... This doesn't work yet on an on industrial scale, so there's a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of trials and errors about this technology. Let's see when this is really ready on the market on large scale. On the other hand, you can not use fossil fuels, but use water as a hydrogen source, and then you have to split the water molecule. This is usually done in an electrolyzer, and this electrolyzer needs a lot of electricity to cut, to, to split the water molecules into oxygen and hydrogen. And then it depends what kind of power you feed to the electrolyzer. If you feed their power from renewable energy plants like solar and wind, then you end up with a green hydrogen without any CO2 emissions. But you can also think of just taking the grid mix more or less um, to feed the electrolyzer. Then is most most times this is called then yellow hydrogen, or you go exclusively for uh, power from nuclear power plants. Then this hydrogen is often called the pink hydrogen. But obviously we are very much interested in the green hydrogen, which is the only hydrogen that can be produced without greenhouse gas emissions and is sustainable and scalable and so on so from an environmental perspective you know we're thinking green hydrogen from climate goals aspirations we're thinking green hydrogen we mentioned in the intro that most of what we're seeing at the moment is gray and just looking around at the moment on that kind of european landscape and what different countries are doing and how they're moving forward and different policies and guidance what's what do we think is likely to start to come through more are we going to see you know green coming through but gray still being dominant or do you think that green hydrogen produced from renewables is is on the way to becoming or will be on the way to becoming that dominant form of um, hydrogen for sure it will be the dominant form in a few years from now in a few centuries from now the role of of gray hydrogen will yeah will get less and less we get smaller and smaller it's to me it's not clear and to many others as well i think how big the role of blue hydrogen will be 
There are also some NGOs that call for blue hydrogen just to ramp up now very fast the infrastructure. I mean, if you're thinking of huge pipeline networks all over Europe where you transport the hydrogen, it's hard to imagine that you can fill all these pipelines and have a stable supply of hydrogen everywhere with green hydrogen. So also here, blue hydrogen could help in the process, the transformation process to green hydrogen. But at the end, it can only be green hydrogen. As said, blue hydrogen still comes with CO2 emissions, with greenhouse gas emissions. We cannot afford this in future. So it, it has to be green hydrogen in the end. And the share of green hydrogen will just increase over the next years, hopefully very fast. And Julius, does that reflect what you're seeing in the UK? Yeah, I think I think so. I think I mean policy is driving it to a certain degree on that side as well. But you have big energy majors, BP have a big blue hydrogen plant planned. But alongside that, they've sort of got the dual twin track approach of having 60 megawatts of electro electrolysis for green hydrogen production at the same point, which I'm assuming will come from some renewables at some point, either offshore or or, or otherwise. I'm not privy to the the power purchase agreements that they have in place but you're definitely seeing that and i think that effectively within the uk we we have sort of shades on green as it were or the government has a twin track approach so there's a low carbon hydrogen standard which can be met by blue assuming that there are high capture rates and low leakage from the methane methane side of things and then you've got i suppose zero carbon which is the green hydrogen really that manfred talked about the, the truly green which i suppose is the only thing that we're also interested in at octopus hydrogen and the definition of I suppose even within that in the UK, there are varying definitions of that, uh, be it from a directly connected hydrogen facility to a solar farm, which is what the work that we're doing together between Bewari and Octopus Hydrogen. But then there's also connecting it to the grid, but making sure that it's correlated with a renewable generation facility somewhere else um, in the same zone or within within Great Britain, essentially, when I'm when thinking about the UK. And that 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 side will grow for sure and then i suppose the critical thing that we need to consider as well is how additional are these renewables so about hydrogen diverting power away from the renewable grid um for, to be turned into hydrogen then used in other applications which isn't necessarily the most efficient use of it so it's making sure that hydrogen is being used with additional facilities and using using curtailed power but really trying to encourage and grow the rollout of renewables by making by using some of that curtail power and enabling renewable projects to make financial decisions and, and be built one of the roles that hydrogen can hydrogen can play so there's a there's a lot of different definitions and there's a lot of complexity i would say within the energy system to try and make sure that we continue to decarbonize electricity grids but also adopt hydrogen or green hydrogen and learn from it in the early days to make sure that we can decarbonize those other sectors in late 2020s and into 2030 um, of our hydrogen and other other energy carriers really. And we've mentioned timeframes a few times now and the need for speed and, and this decade. I mean, and, and timing is absolutely crucial. The climate crisis is happening all over the world now. 
And unless we end this decade on track to keep temperatures, um, temperature rises to 1.5 degrees, which is already looking um, unlikely, we are going to see that crisis get significantly worse. You know, what can be done to speed up the utilization of green hydrogen? Can it be done at the pace needed to help address the immediate effects of the climate crisis? Or is it a, a fuel source for the generation to come? Stefan, so get your thoughts on that. I guess um, we simply need to uh, to speed up and and achieve a certain pace. Otherwise, future generations won't have too much uh, to worry about anymore because uh, it might not be a very lively and pleasant place to um, to be, yeah, planet Earth. So I think it, it's definitely possible, but there is not much time to be lost. We need clear regulations on the one side. We need some sort of in initial incentives to switch from gray to green hydrogen. And that's really calling the government to, to sort of start and helping bringing the industry to scale. And, and then um, as a third uh, point, we obviously also need uh, enough electrolyzer capacity that also has been pointed out already in, in the market that there's yeah a bit of a lack of production capacity at the moment. This um, needs urgent adjustment, let's say, uh, to be able to address or or yeah, deliver all those project initiatives which are currently out there. Yeah, there is a lot of talk uh, about the gigawatt scale um, projects, but if you look really what is the magnitude and size of projects which are currently uh, already operational or shortly becoming operational, it's rather... You know, the focus is on the single digit um, megawatt scale and it's sort of a, a, a similar story when I look a little bit on, on what we as Bevar E are doing, right? And it's sort of natural. You start with smaller projects and then you learn and then you get involved in, in larger scale um, and projects. We have, for example, our um, electrolyzer in, in the Netherlands, which is currently being commissioned. It's a 1.3 megawatt electrolyzer next to a 50 megawatt um, PV plant, which we as as Bavari together with our local daughter company um, developed, and and where we partnered with a local utility, uh, Alianda, um, to try out uh, grid friendly, yeah, electrolysis or hydrogen operation, um, and this hydrogen is then being supplied to the local transport market to to buses uh, of a, a local community there, and then there's. Yeah, projects where we're talking about uh, larger electrolyzers, uh, larger hydrogen production, like um, the the um, initiative around uh, the Barcelona, which is called Hydrogenizing Barcelona uh, initiative, uh, which has been launched in 2020, which brings together yeah many international um, companies. I think uh, more than 20. Um, also research uh, institutes and public entities um, where we want to implement uh, a whole green hydrogen uh, economy in the metropolitan area of Barcelona, uh, focusing around the ports there. And there's a similar initiative also in the south of Germany in Bavaria, where Bavaria is headquartered, where also many different players are involved, where you then really look at, at like sort of different um, scales. And I, I think those Multi-stakeholder partnerships are really important as starting points and it's sort of a natural sign of like an early industry where kind of many people have something to contribute. Um, some of them maybe don't really know yet what they want to contribute or what they can contribute. Regulations are a little bit unclear yet, as I said before. 
Um, so, you know, what do you do as a company? Yeah, you, um, you, you try to partner with, with many other companies. One, I mean, key, key aspect, um, I would like to, to add to those points is, is really the, the offtake security. It's a little bit of this, this chicken and egg at the moment. Everybody is kind of waiting to do projects, but you need sort of either an offtaker who commits to a certain volume of hydrogen with a certain price for a certain amount of time. And, and then on the other hand, you need those clear regulations, which have been mentioned already um, previously. And Manfred, on that, on that same topic, I mean, boiling all of that down, top three things that need to happen if we're going to speed up hydrogen to the pace needed. You've got three. What are they? Three. Only three. Maybe four. <laughs> uh, I, I, okay, if... if yeah, I just wanted to, to, to cover and add, add one more thing, maybe this first, because, I mean, also sometimes if you listen to politicians, it sometimes sounds like hydrogen, green hydrogen will solve everything, right? We can leave everything in the world as it is. We just import enough green hydrogen. We don't have to care about anything, and this will be done in five years, and don't worry. But that's what it isn't, right? I mean, this is overall goal that we want to fulfill is to limit greenhouse gas emissions. And, and this is a huge puzzle we have to put together. And one of these puzzle pieces is, is green hydrogen. But it's, it's not that it's either green hydrogen or others. So it has all to happen in parallel. And the, the worst thing is that unlike with a, with a traditional puzzle where you put one piece, puzzle piece after the other there, we don't have the time anymore now to really put one thing after the other. It's not the way now that we do 10 years now transformation in, in the building sector and put a lot of insulation and next step then is uh, electric vehicle and next step is so we have to do everything in parallel. So the question whether hydrogen will save us now or is something for future can't be answered like this because it has all has to happen in parallel. But what is extremely important for the renewable hydrogen business in future is on the one hand is to get a kickstart now because at the moment it's quite expensive the electrolyzers are very expensive because they are not mass produced and so on so the whole thing has to get a kickstart so this can only be done by by industry policy by putting subsidies just throw money on it until the electrolyzers are cheap until the at least part of the of the infrastructure is built up and then it will be competitive at least if you take into account the co2 emissions the damage of the co2 emissions on the other hand but what is then the next problem, if you have a lot of gigawatts of electrolyzers, we are lacking of renewable energies, renewable electricity. I mean, we don't have 100% renewable electricity in our electricity system everywhere. So we have to deploy a lot of wind and solar farms everywhere. So if you tell me what are the three most important things, I would say Renewable electricity, renewable electricity, renewable electricity, and fourth point is subsidies. <laughs> and I think the only thing I would I would add is the so it's all it is all about the renewable electricity, and it's all about I suppose in the UK it's about the planning permission cycle and the speed of being able to deploy that. So when you hear about the reluctance to have onshore wind, that makes things more difficult. So it's about having those mechanisms in place so that we can build the renewable electricity as fast as possible 
I would say, is a critical element for us. And for the hydrogen, actually, on the planning side, not many hydrogen plants have gone through planning yet. So it's it's how can we speed up that process? Sorry, Manfred, I cut across you slightly. Sure. It has to happen parallel. That's the, that's the challenge we have. And I would say as well, on top of the subsidy side, is obviously the investment from the private sector as well. And the subsidies help to encourage investment. But, you know, is it outrageous to think maybe we could have higher risk appetite from the private investment sector as well? To, to I mean, this is something that we have to solve. And I know it's not a natural place and it won't necessarily work in the current models that people have. But to increase your risk appetite to develop the economy would also help as well as investment in end use cases of hydrogen rather than only the current existing use cases of hydrogen themselves. And staying with the UK, um, Julius, and the uh, partnership between Octopus Hydrogen and Biva RE, we just talk about some of the projects that we are working on. Yeah, so there are two two projects that Stefan and I and others, I must say, have been working on uh, for, for, for a while now. So uh, a wind site, um, so co-locating hopefully 20 megawatts i think of electrolysis with a wind site and 10 megawatts of electrolysis with a with a solar site yeah i suppose i suppose but more generally how we work together um octopus hydrogen we've been developing skills expertise in the hydrogen market uh, developing relationships with buyers of hydrogen over the last couple of years um and we bring the hydrogen expertise if you want on the build and and uh the electrolysis and uh, how to set up and build a site so that people can actually come and pick up or we can deliver hydrogen to them. And we've got a very good working relationship with Baywari, obviously providing, in this case, the renewable power for our for, for, for those two sites. And yeah, it seems to be going pretty well. We've got two teams, one on our side and one on, on, on the Baywari side, working on across two different projects. And hopefully continuing to develop them and we'll have hydrogen being produced between us in the UK over the next couple of years. Uh, energy security and energy independence, um, not new topics, of course, and renewable energy has always been seen as a route to achieving both. But given the war in Ukraine, that's now brought both of those topics into sharp focus. Stefan, just sticking with you for this one, um, how do you see hydrogen's role in helping to reduce energy over-dependence and increase energy security within Europe and in the context of um, the EU's repower EU plan and the proposal to well, basically to end reliance on, on Russia or Russian fossil fuels before 2030? As we already elaborated a bit, hydrogen is crucial in terms of um, net zero and it's also crucial in terms of energy independence. Um, there's absolutely no alternative uh, for, for areas which are hard or impossible uh, to electrify, which we alluded to, to earlier. And the war in Ukraine, the horrible war in Ukraine has increased uh, the awareness of the topic. Yeah, you hear about hydrogen now uh, more and more also in the general um, media, not only in the renewable energy world or in the energy world in general. But I would say the urgency, if we want to limit the global warming to 1.5 degrees, is kind of the same because it has always been like super, super urgent and we need to act as fast as we can anyway. Yeah, it's just that uh, the reliability of, of power supply um, needs to be ensured as well, um, obviously. And therefore, you now see things like 
the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz um, and the Minister of Energy and Economics Habeck flying together to Canada to see where you know we can source and and secure hydrogen from. So yeah, on, on the political program side, you see this priority on security of supply. Um, then, then also um, reflected in, in revised energy transition targets. Yeah, in the UK, um, uh, renewable energy targets have been increased. You just mentioned the new um, EU program. So there's, I feel like every half a year or year, there's sort of targets being revised and increased. So you definitely can can feel that pressure and that and that urgency. Yeah, and and I mean on a on a global level now, it's it's really, you know, very interesting to see. And and I'm not sure if if many many people not so much involved in the energy sort of can digest or or, or comprehend sort of the magnitude, the the significance of of this topic now. Yeah, it really feels like to me the cards are being um, reshuffled in the energy world. It's really interesting to see how. Yeah, the old or, or, or still sort of existing energy world is trying to position itself to play a role um, in the game. Yeah, you see um, political, high-ranking political delegations traveling all around the world, visiting um, conferences and trying to position um, themselves uh, um, as a potential provider and exporter of of hydrogen. Yeah, countries with uh, Good solar and wind resources and accessibility to the sea um, are all of a sudden super interesting to talk to. Countries in Latin America and Africa, also Australia and others, are aiming to produce uh, hydrogen and and uh, and to exporters. Yeah, and this is really countries also which uh, have not been on the radar in terms of energy experts, which don't have too many or or not at all any natural uh, resources like gas or oil to export on. So. Um, yeah, it has really a geopolitical relevance, yeah, and um, it's it's important in terms of energy independence. Also, though, I mean, which is sort of part of the question or the point you raised, that we have some local um, production, local infrastructure, uh, decentralized production that we can make our own own oil now, so to speak, yeah, to a significant extent. I think some some or several forecasts sort of estimate that, uh, taking Germany as an example, that the significant amount still will need to be imported to cover our future hydrogen demand, but also a significant amount. I think roughly fifty percent. Um, you know, there could be a good chance to produce uh, that um, locally here in in Germany with local um, PV and wind power and electrolyzer production. So that's really a whole new. Yeah, opportunity uh, for us to to become more energy independent, and which we uh, yeah need to grab and 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 work on definitely. Manfred, anything you'd add to that? Yes, the Ukrainian war showed us another reason why we should put this puzzle together that I that I explained before to put everything on on new feet and be having a yeah climate neutral or greenhouse gas emission free energy system in in future and uh, and hydrogen is is certainly a very important part of it but on the other hand the whole renewable hydrogen production is for sure nothing that helps us this winter and the next winter because it's 
simply not possible to install as much hydrogen stuff in this short time. Also, blue hydrogen, it's not, it's yeah, got under pressure because it starts from from natural gas, which is extremely extremely scarce and extremely expensive at the moment. But on the other hand, I mean, the, the pressure increased, but I also see some kind of danger here because you need a lot of electricity, cheap electricity, to produce green hydrogen at the moment with the extremely high electricity prices all these business cases to produce green hydrogen got a lot under pressure and it's almost doesn't matter anymore whether an electrolyzer costs you 1 million per megawatt or you get it for free with this crazy high electricity prices we run into problems and the other problem i see is if I mean, this may be especially for germany but if you if you run around now in the world and, and look for lng sources and get long-term LNG contracts with somebody just to get LNG now on a very short term, but now and then stick for these long-term LNG contracts, then this could be something that, that endangers also the, the transformation towards renewable hydrogen. Let's see. Could, could be, but it's, it's, um, it, has a, it has a chance, but also some, yeah, some risk that it, it slows down the transition. And we are rapidly coming up on um, time there as a short final question um, with some short final answers on that time frame topic from where we are today, taking into account the ambitions of the EU and the opportunities for hydrogen and the challenges that need to be overcome. Um, within what time frame do you see widespread, large scale green hydrogen projects being implemented? Manfred. Widespread, large-scale green hydrogen projects, 15 years from now. Stefan? So I make it a little bit more specific. Let's say the first um, gigawatt scale of uh, hydrogen uh, production uh, by electrolyzer um, will be commissioned in five years. Julius, can you do better than five? <laughs> I can't do better than five. Commissioned. Do you mean do you mean producing gas in five years, Stefan? Yes. Yes. Gigawatt scale. Uh, I mean, wow. Um, not from the consultations I've been part of. Uh, I would say the precursor, as we mentioned, is the huge increase in the rollout of renewables. So what we're probably talking seven to 10 to 15 years for that. And then I suppose the green hydrogen, that's a requirement of. So hopefully a fast follow behind that. So I'll go, I'll, I'll go 10 years for the renewables and 13 years for the, for the hydrogen. We've got a good spread of years covered there. <laughs> so we are up on time on another podcast. A big thank you to all of my guests and to all of you for listening. Uh, please join me next time. And don't forget, you can check out other content and podcasts at rethink-energy.com. Thanks a lot. Speak soon. Bye-bye.